Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. I don't know if you caught the last line, but I want to throw it up on the screen for you just to make sure that we drive home the point today. The last part or the last line of that video is if everyone did their part, imagine the fish that could be caught. See, what we understand in Scripture is that fishing truly is a group effort. Now, uh, of course, I'm talking about spiritual fishing. I'm talking about us uh, catching people, not like the, the last guy in the video that was caught with a hook in his mouth. That would be kind of creepy and kind of weird if that's how we were catching people. Okay, That's not what we're really talking about, not a literal let's go use bait and hook people. But we're talking about seeing people come to know Jesus. That type of fishing is a group effort. It takes a village to see fish caught or to see people come to know Jesus Christ. You think, well, how in the world is that a group effort? Well, when Jesus first called his disciples to follow him, this is what he told them. He said they would be fishers of people. In Matthew 4, 18, it says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in the boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their fathers behind. And so Jesus, knowing that some of his first disciples, that he was saying, come follow me, that they were fishermen by trade. Typically, these young men who didn't make the cut spiritually, they went off to the, the, the family business or to pick up a trade, and they're their trade was fishing, he thought, I got the perfect illustration, okay? Instead of fishing for people, what you're going to do now is to go, or fishing for fish, you're going to go fish for people. Now, in our culture today, typically when we think uh, of a fisherman or fisherwoman or someone that fishes, we kind of think of the individual sport of fishing. We might picture something like this, where there's one person, a guy or gal, kind of in the water on a boat by themselves or on the shore, and they're just kind of throwing the rod and reel, and they're casting out there, and they're just fishing, right? Spending time fishing. That's kind of what is in our mind's eye, but that's not the biblical example of fishing. In fact, what we see is more of a group endeavor. See, in the New Testament, uh, these men, young men typically, or even older men as they grew up in the fishing trade, they would take these heavy nets and they would throw these heavy nets into the water and they would then bring back in the heavy nets, hopefully with some heavy fish. Right? That was the goal. Let's try to catch some fish. And they would do this collectively. That's why the brothers were together. That's why the family were together. They were fishing together. They were partners. It was a group effort. It kind of more resembled this type of fishing. Now, this type of fishing is done still in the world today. There are places where they throw out the net, and it's this team effort of bringing back in fish. It's not an individual activity. For you, maybe you need to think of the show Deadliest Catch, and you think, oh yeah, it takes a team. Okay, and that's the whole idea. If we're really going to catch some fish, it takes people. And so for us as a church, okay, hear me today, whether you're online, in this room, for us as a church, if we're ever going to get serious about people coming to know Jesus Christ, it's going to take everyone. Even you. Even you. Even you. It's going to take everyone. Not just me. Not just my family. 
not just staff members, pastor's council. It, it takes everyone. If we want to see God triple us by the end of April, well, we're 75 people worshiping in this room. It's going to take everyone. We want to see God grow us to be all that we desire to be for the kingdom of God, not for the name of everyday church, not for my name. If we want to see God do the, a miracle, it's going to take us. It's going to take all of us. It is truly an all-scape. It, it is all hands on deck. We all got to show up. We all got to participate. We all have a role to play. It takes you and it takes me. Every one of us. Now, some people think, well, I, I like this idea of uh, a group effort because I don't like the talk. And so I'll just clean the nets. No, listen, we all have a role to play. And, and it is talking about Jesus. We all have to catch some people. Now, I want to just go through something quickly. Why? It's a group effort. See, there is strength in numbers. I think we can kind of get that, that the more people that are on board, the easier it is to accomplish a task. All right, if we're all pulling on the rope the same direction, the easier it is to pull or to accomplish the goal that we're trying to accomplish. If we're all on the same page, there's strength in numbers. But let me give you some practical things, okay? Why is it a group effort? Number one, it's prayer support. Think about it this way. We're about to enter into a supernatural activity, event, and if it's supernatural, it's going to take a supernatural battle, a supernatural fight. It's going to take us praying for one another in this endeavor. I read this verse last week, but I want to read it again. Ephesians 6, chapter 20, Paul says, I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. So here, and we'll talk a little bit about Paul later, but wrote most of the New Testament a man that seemed fearless for the cause of Christ cost his own life. But he says, pray for me that I'll keep on speaking. He's asking people to pray. And he was a man praying that he would not be ashamed, that he would preach the good news of Jesus. And he's asking others to pray. He wanted prayer support. We need prayer support. We need people praying for us that when we share and who would receive that message, the more prayer, the better. Right? We need Prayer support. That's why it's a group effort. Also, we need encouragement and accountability from a group. We need that encouragement. We need that accountability. In uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, don't you think that you might share more if you had people in your life thinking of ways to motivate you to share. In essence, that's what this verse is saying. Verse 24, let me read it again. Verse 24, Hebrews 10, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Are you thinking of ways to encourage someone else to share? Have you spent any amount of time brainstorming, like, how can I encourage my husband to share? How can I encourage my bestie to share? How can I encourage my faith family to share about Jesus? You spend any time on that this week? Any amount of brain energy and, and, and capacity spent towards how can I encourage someone to share about Jesus? And of course, this verse is about good works and it's about doing well, and that would be a part of it. But it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another. So we need to encourage one another in this whole process because some of us are, are scared and we have fear and we're going to cover that in this message. But we need to encourage one another on this journey. 
We also need to encourage each other through accountability. Accountability doesn't have to be rough. It doesn't have to be mean. It doesn't have to be uh, a jerk about accountability. But with, with us giving permission for someone to say, hey, how'd it go? Did you get that opportunity? Was it there? Did you step into it? Were you faithful? Were you obedient in that moment? Tell me about it. I've been praying for you. I've been encouraging you. Now tell me, how did it go? Oh, you're not there yet? Okay, listen, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep encouraging you. I'm going to keep motivating you. I'm going to keep thinking of ways to stir you up to good works, to share your faith. We need people in our lives that have that permission to ask that question. Hey, did you get to share? How's your one in 21? And so it's a group effort because we need encouragement and accountability. And then thirdly, more opportunities. It makes sense that if you're near the water, the more nets, the greater the chance to catch some fish, right? It's a group effort. The more nets, the more fish. The more people that we've got casting and, and, and trying to catch, the chances increase of us actually catching some fish. Not to confuse you with a different illustration, but Jesus used fishing because he was around fishermen, but he also used farming because the New Testament times was very agricultural. And so Using a modern life lesson in that day, he said this in Matthew 9, 36. Well, first, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, okay, farming type of illustration. But verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Now, if he was to continue a fishing theme, he, the fish are plenty, but the fishermen or fisher, fishers of fish are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus says, there is a harvest, but we got few workers. There's not enough people that are going there to work the field, to see the harvest, to see people put their faith and trust in him, specifically people to experience the kingdom of heaven here on earth. We don't have enough people serving and sharing. Okay, to, to go back to the fishing example, we got fish out there in the pond. We just got no one in the water. Jesus says, pray that there be more people in the field. Or we could say it, pray that there be more people out in the water casting nets. And so it's a group effort. The more opportunities that we will have if we all get on the same page and we get out there and share. Now I know, like even in that video, there are some that are just scared to death to share. At the end of this series, we're going to really give you a practical tool. Some of you already have some tools. We're going to give you one more tool to help you share your faith. And we're going to be very specific about that. But I want to encourage you that if you have a fear, you're not alone. 20 plus years of ministry, it is a common fear that people share about actually telling someone else about Jesus. Some people are really good with like, hey, I can tell a stranger, but it's my coworker. It's my family that I really struggle with. Or some are the opposite. And I can tell someone close to me, but the, the, the server at the restaurant, man, I'm going to have a really tough time with that if God puts it on my heart. Some are just, no matter, hey, it's a person, they breathe, I'm petrified. And so somewhere in between, you're like, I can't share my faith. I get stuck. I get scared. And I imagine if you're a believer and you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, there's been a moment in your life where you felt this, the prompting of the Holy Spirit encouraging you to go share it with someone, but you froze. 
and you didn't take advantage of that opportunity. I get it. Listen, I want to help you because when those situations come up, there's a thousand excuses. There's a thousand of them, okay? And I can't cover all a thousand, but I want to give you the top three excuses. I want to combat that with some truth. I think excuse number one, this one really rises to the top, is I'm just not good enough. I'm really not good enough. If you knew my past, if you knew the pain that has been present in my life previously, if you knew what what happened to me when I was younger or what I did, it's some sort of perceived lack of holiness that is keeping you from sharing. You're just like, man, I'm not good enough. And it might even be in the present. You've made a mistake here and there and today and you screwed up and you, you instead of falling forward, you fall backwards. You're like, man, I'm just not good enough to share. If having a pristine past was a prerequisite, the gospel would have never advanced. Okay, I need you to hear that today. If having a pristine past was the prerequisite, the gospel wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't be a believer today because no one would have been able to share. If you just think of some of our biblical heroes, Noah, he got drunk, passed out naked drunk. Okay, that was our dear Noah. We have Abraham, he was a liar. You, you, you ramp up, you got Moses who... Uh, murdered a man. You've got David who had quite the list, but uh, you could add rape and and murder really at the top of that. You have Jonah who was disobedient. You have Jeremiah who was depressed. You have Rahab who was a prostitute. You have Sarah. You have Gideon who doubted God. You have Isaiah who had unclean lips and on and on and on it goes. You could go to the New Testament. You got John and James. They were self-righteous. You've got Peter. He denied even knowing Jesus. You got Mary Magdalene. She was full of demons. Paul killed Christians, chased them down to put them in prison and even ultimately death. All of those people had a past, all of them. But ultimately, their past didn't define them and your past doesn't have to define you. It doesn't. Your past can be in the past and it can be wiped clean by the blood of Jesus Christ because he died for you and said you're worthy enough to die for and so I'm going to... I'm going to give my life or your life, and I will forgive you of every your sin. And so every sin. So quit letting your past affect your present. Step into the moments God provides. Paul, I told you, his past, after his encounter with Jesus, his life was changed. In Acts 9.20, it says, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God. That's all Paul knew. Hey, I got this testimony now. He, I had this encounter with Jesus, and so I know you're scared of me because of what happened in the past, but I got to tell you, I was wrong. He is the Son of God. I was wrong. I screwed up. Paul could have easily said, well, I can't do this. Any of our biblical heroes said, I can't follow God because I've done this. No, they understood the grace of God and the call of God upon their life. And so the truth today is you are good enough because of Christ in you. So don't tell yourself, I'm not good enough. Tell yourself, you are good enough, not because of you, but because of Jesus. Because of Christ in you, you are good enough, every one of you. You can share Jesus because of Jesus in you. He takes the broken and makes them whole, and he puts a call upon our life. And and honestly, brand new Christians are perfect in sharing the faith, and usually why they're even uh, more dynamic in their sharing is because they've already got a group of unbelievers around them. They just came out of them. They're like, hey, I got to tell you what Jesus did in my life. And so the truth is you are good enough. Don't use that excuse, I'm not good enough. Excuse number two, I don't know enough. If you've been a believer and you've kind of received the forgiveness and you understand grace, you get to the point where you're like, but I just don't know enough. 
this is usually phrased, they might ask a tough question that I don't know the answer to, and so I'm, I'm afraid to share because I just don't know how I would answer. Now, honestly, the, the first followers of Jesus were not the brightest bulb in the box. They didn't make the spiritual cut. They didn't go down a, a pathway of religion and, and either become a Sadducee or Pharisee. Instead, they had to take on trades. We've got tax collectors. We've got fishermen. These young men who, who weren't the, the sharpest when it came to the scriptures. In Acts 4.13, we see something different about them. The members of the council, these are these Jewish religious leaders who were the cream of the crop in spiritual matters. They were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Okay? Even though they weren't trained, they could tell that something was different. People could look at your life and say, well, that's, this person isn't trained in studying the scriptures. They don't have a master's or doctorate in, in theology. But what I can see is that there's something different. This person has had an encounter with Jesus. That's the ultimate goal. It's not that you know every part of the Bible. Listen, of course, I would encourage you to study and to get in the Word. But that's not the prerequisite to share your faith. It's just, do you have a story? Has God changed your life? If he has, you can share. These men weren't trained enough, but they had an encounter with a resurrected Jesus, and that changed their life. You know, pre-resurrection, they were scared to death. They fled. They left Jesus on the cross. But then they have this encounter with a resurrected Jesus that changed their life. Now they're bold as lions. They stepped into situations, not because they learned more. You know what they learned? Jesus is alive. That's what they learned, and that changed their life. And then the teaching of Jesus started to make sense to them. Then they could go back and like, oh, Jesus taught this and taught that and taught that. And it began to change their life. But it all starts with an encounter with Jesus. And so the truth, number two, is if you've met Jesus, you're good to go. If you've met Jesus, you're good to go. You're good to share. You've, you've qualified as the prerequisite to talk about him. So when you share, don't be afraid about the questions that are asked, because ultimately you're, you're sharing your story and God's story. And then as you share, you're not teaching a class. And we'll kind of go through some, some things and a direction and how to share. But, but it's not a class. It's not a seminar. You're just sharing about what happened in your life and God's story, how he sent his son. And if something comes up where they do ask a question and you don't know the answer, you can say, hey, let's get back together. And guess what? You get to have another conversation. That's a win. Now, if they're just trying to shut you up, it's probably not the moment for them anyway. If they're just trying to pick apart what you want to talk about, then that's probably not it anyway. And so just be, you know what, we can talk about this if you want, and I'll, I'd love to go kind of figure out and do some study myself, and we can come back. But if it's combative, then like, hey, it's all good. Just pray for them. But if you've met Jesus, you're good to go. Here's the third excuse that I would say rises to the top. I just don't want it to be awkward. Right? This is when you're like, man, my, my fear is that if I bring up the J word and I bring up Jesus forevermore, it's going to be awkward with this friend, with this coworker, with this family member, with this neighbor, and, and this classmate. And so I don't want to bring it up because, boy, oh boy, it's going to be awkward. Let me just say, 
typically, and there are exceptions to this rule, like with a stranger, but when you share with someone that you believe in Jesus, typically it's not going to be a surprise. It shouldn't be, right? Like that person shouldn't be like, oh, what? You're a Christian? Oh my goodness, I never knew. Don't ever come near me again. Now, if it is a, a surprise, there might be some other conversations that we need to have about that. But your life should already begin to look differently because you follow Christ. And as a follower of Christ, we begin to look like Jesus. We use Jesus as who we are. It's an identity. That's why we're called Everyday Church, because it's not a performance. We're not here like on Sunday, let's worship Jesus and then go on Monday and forget about Jesus. It's not a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. And so as you live your life, it should kind of stick out to people where it's not like, wait, you're telling me about Jesus? Oh, my gosh, I had no idea that you even believe. If, and if they're surprised, well, then we need to talk about that. But typically, they're not going to be surprised. They're going to have an idea like, oh, yeah, I could tell you're a little bit different. And most people that don't believe in Jesus respect it when you come clean. There's at least an air of respect for someone that stands up for what they really believe and is confident in that. And that you still love that person, no matter what they believe. Because you've already led with love and established that relationship. Now, of course, I'll be honest. I can phrase it this way. You'll attract some, you'll repel some when you live for Jesus. There will be some people that will distance themselves from you if they know you're a Christian, no matter how you handle it. That's true. I, I can't, I wish I could say, it'll never be awkward. You know, th there is a chance that someone could distance themselves from you because you believe in Jesus. But you can't control how other people feel about you. And you need to know that today. Rest in that today. You can't control how other people feel about you. So that cannot be your ultimate goal. You can't. You can't let that be your goal, to control what other people feel. Instead, try to be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself in this way. Are you being inauthentic in order to feel accepted? And if that's the case, do not let the approval of people be your goal, your guide. If you can't be who you are so that you're accepted by that other person, you're trying to please them more than your heavenly father. If you have to hide who you are so that someone else will be friendly to you, they've got the problem, not you. Don't try to control how they feel about you. You be you. And your real people will love you back or be friendly, even if there's a disagreement. But you be you. And so being a Christian, it's not trying to be an actor on a stage or, or some sort of performance. It should just kind of come out who you are. Here's the truth. Don't worry about how people respond. Be proud in the fact that Jesus changed your life. You know, Jesus died publicly for you. Can you imagine the cross being where he, he's sentenced to crucify and said, hang, hang on, I can't do this publicly. Would you please go put me on the other side of the mountain where no one can see me? I just want my followers to know I did it, but not know about it and see about it. You know, I just, just put me on the other side where it's not public. He died a very public death for you and for me. And thankfully, a very public resurrection as well. But be proud in the fact that Jesus died for you and demonstrated his love for you. 
that even though you are and myself sinners apart from Christ, he still died for us and took on the punishment that we so deserved. Paul put it this way in Romans. He says, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Never be ashamed of the fact that we're made right with God by faith, a faith in Jesus. Be proud of that. Be like Paul and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It changed my life. It's his power that created me anew and gave me new life and saved me from death and and gave me a a real life and right standing with the Father. It reminds me how uh, uh, Jeremiah, one time he was talking to God and Jeremiah was uh, depressed in many ways. He was given a, a message to share that a lot of people rejected and it was awkward for him. He had many awkward moments, but he didn't let it deter him. He said in Jeremiah 29, chapter 20, verse 9, but if I say... I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name. His word burns in my heart like a fire. It's a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. God's message placed in him, even though there were awkward moments in his life and beyond awkward, tough moments, he said, I can't keep it in though. I gotta let this message out. I'm weary of holding it in. I'm worn out. I can't do it. His word is in my heart like a fire. I gotta share it. And I pray that the gospel for you, even if it does create some awkward moments, and typically don't let that fear keep you back because it's, it's not always awkward. But even if it were, you would say, I can't keep this in. I'm weary of holding it in. It's a, it's a fire in my heart. Shut up in my bones. I got to let this message out. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Paul says, yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I'm compelled by God to do it. Look at this last part. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. Woe is me. If, if, I, if I couldn't do this, it would be terrible for me. I got to let this message out. It's an incredible message. And if you've experienced it, you know how amazing it is. How amazing grace is and what good news it is. And that's what we need. We need to, the, to get to the point where we are no longer afraid to share the message but afraid not to share the message. What are you more afraid of? Sharing it or not sharing it? That's a good question for me. I hope it's a good question for you. We gotta get to the point where we're more afraid. Like, woe is me. I'm terrified if I don't share this thing. I gotta get it out. It's a fire in my bones. I've gotta let this fire out this message, this good news about Jesus. And for many of our biblical heroes along the way, that message, despite the fact that there were some awkward moments and it caused them harm, it so captured their lives, it became an unstoppable force in their present. Has the message of Jesus captured your life? Maybe it's been a while since you've thought about how amazing God is, how good he is, what grace has done for you. Because let me tell you something, I'm wretched without him. No way I'm getting in without him. 
my good ain't going to cut it. And I've been a Christian a long time, but man, I've got flaws. And I know, without a shadow of a doubt, without Jesus, listen, I, I, I'd be miserable. But with Jesus, I'm changed. My life is different. I'm forgiven. There's love. There's joy. There's peace. There's patience. I could go on and on. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There, there literally has been a change in my life. And I should be weary of, of holding that in. Why would I want to hoard that blessing and never share it with someone else? So I and you, we need to quit being afraid of sharing it, but afraid of not sharing it. And if you do that and I do that and we get on the same page with that, our church is going to experience a supernatural catch of fish. If we could all get in the lake together. This is what happened to the first believers in Jesus in Acts 2.47. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Do you want that? I really want that. To have people added to our church means that we've got to be people delivering the gospel, sharing it, telling the good news. We are going to have to overcome any fear and be fueled by a desire to see people cross over from death to life. That has to fuel us. It has to be a passion for us. We have to be weary of holding that in. But you can see in Acts 2.47, this is as the first church is formed, the person adding to the church was the Lord. The Lord added. Our job isn't to force a result. We can't. It's supernatural. Our job is to share. It's up to God to produce the results. We have to trust him with it. He, we, we cast the seed to use the farming, or we cast the net to use the fishing. God's got to make the fish get in. But we still have to cast the net. We have a role to play, and we all have a role. To play. So I want to encourage you with one last thought. Jump. Jump. Today. This week. Jump. Give it a shot. I, always, I, I, think, I know this is weird to say, but sometimes I think like me sharing and botching it isn't going to send a person further to hell than they already are. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, okay. it, they're already not a believer. So if I could just give it a shot and jump and share the good news, who knows what could happen? God could take that and produce fruit, see someone come to know him. It might not be right in that moment. It might be in that moment. But anytime I'm, I'm tempted to freeze on that bridge, I got to get to the point where I'm saying, okay, jump. Ask this person if they're ready to give their life to Jesus. Because I will say this, the gospel is not completely shared until there is a moment of decision. Don't just talk about Jesus without saying, hey, do you want to give your life to Jesus? Get to that point where you're giving a moment of decision for that person. And I will tell you this, even if that person doesn't put their faith and trust in Jesus, your spiritual life will grow. The deeper my relationship with the Lord is when I'm sharing my faith, when I'm being more proactive, with the word evangelism, with talking to family, strangers, whoever, about 
Jesus. And I've seen it happen where people will begin sharing and it will fuel their faith and their relationship with Christ where it is a powerful force in their life. In fact, I would say if you're not actively sharing your faith, it hurts your spiritual life. It's, it stumps your growth because we're all called to share our faith. We're all called to be a witness. And if you're not actively sharing your faith, I'm, I'm telling you, it is going to hurt your spiritual growth. I even put it this way. People say, I want, a, I want a deep church. I don't want a shallow one. I've heard that before. And I'll say, that's great. But I will say this. It depends more on you than anything. The depth of your relationship depends on your obedience, not on what's being preached. You want a deep church? Be it. I've never met someone deep in their faith that doesn't share their faith. Share your faith. Jump. Share. But I can tell you this. When you jump on something scary, it's always easier when you're jumping together. When you got a hand to hold and you take the plunge. By yourself. Some of you are wired that way and you, you can do it. I remember when Kim and I were in Hawaii on our honeymoon. This was so long ago. But she'll always fight me on the how high the cliff was. It was seven stories. It was 70 feet. It was like 80. People, and I did look this up. She's over here whispering 30 feet. It was higher. It, was, it probably was 40, like no, no cap, as the kids say. Um, I looked it up one time just to try and find it because we were on the small island of Kauai. And uh, I found... a. a because I wanted a picture of it, but I found an article where people had died on that on the cliff jump. I'm not making this up, and they had to close it down. That's true, but so she she jumped first, and I was scared to death. But because she jumped, I jumped. And that kind of manly of me, like, hey man, let me just make sure you survive at first. <laughs> Go ahead, and she survived. And then I had to jump. It was there was no choice. Like at that point, I had to man up and like, all right, I'm going. I think I use excuse like, I'll take the picture first. You know, I was like, the photo was good. And then you're like, come on. And I jump. If we're all in this thing together, we jump. But it's going to take all of us. So don't let the fear drive you. Let it be faith. And I can't force us all to do this. But I want to encourage you and hopefully motivate you to share your faith. And that's what this morning is about because it is going to take you and it's going to take me from the oldest to the youngest to e-kids to everyone in this facility. If the church would stand up and cast the nets, God will do the rest. Are you praying with me that God would triple us by the end of April? Are you engaging in conversations and casting the net to see what God does with it? Don't just let it be a prayer without say, putting your yes on the table. Saying, God, use me in this prayer. See, sometimes when we pray, guess who the answer is to your prayer? Not just me, by the way. You and me. We're the answer to that prayer. So let's jump together and get some fish along the way. Let's pray. God, thank you for our time. Lord, I, I typically start with gratitude at the end of this. And I mean that. It is a blessing 
to be in person together in this room. What a joy it is to be able to be here together. I thank you for that. Thank you for the health. Thank you for safety. Thank you for a time of incredible musical worship and a time in the Word and seeing each other is, is really a joy. Thank you for that. And as we prayed earlier this morning with, with a group, we are thankful for the blessings that you have done. And so as we long for more, we do not neglect to say thank you. And we're, we don't want to present any kind of type of ungratefulness because we are grateful, God, for our history and where we've been and, and how you've brought us thus far. But Lord, you know our heart. We want it to mirror your heart and we long to catch fish desperate for it and so I pray for that desperation not just to be me but everyone listening right now whether in this room or online would have a sense of desperation to see the lost found to see people cross over from death to life because we've had an incredible encounter with you and may we do better at sharing our story and your story Give us favor in those conversations. Give us divine appointments this week. And give us the boldness to jump. And Lord, help us encourage one another and hold each other accountable and to be praying for one another so that we would have more opportunities as a faith family. I praise you, God, for today. May it not end here, but may it carry over into how we live this week. And honestly, God, not just this week, the rest of our lives. And I pray right now with my faith family, you would triple us supernaturally by the end of April. I pray it would happen next week, which I'm already fearful of because of spring break <laughs> and time change and all these things. But Lord, you can do anything, and I believe that. And so grow us, God. And we pray for salvation to happen, baptism to happen, revival, spiritual awakening we're begging you to do a mighty work in and through everyday church, not for our glory, but always for your glory. And we pray that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on and we would love to hear from you. If there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless.